Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. Hey, welcome back to Snakes and Otters. I am Martin. I'm Francis. And I'm Robert. Alright, so today, uh, we're going to do what we always call a reach-back episode. I love these. As opposed to a reach-around episode. (laughs) Be careful now. It's there. I had to use it. Dude, I'm so jealous. That's the best joke we've told in the whole set of episodes. That's the best. I'm so jealous. It's the bourbon, gentlemen. That's what it does. Woodford Reserve is what we got going on today. Yes, we got it. Everybody's got a full glass of Woodford Reserve here, and we're hitting the bourbon and and recording episode 12. So this is a reach back to uh, when we talked about Christopher Clark's The Sleepwalkers, and we talked about the origins of World War One and who's to blame. And I staked out a position about, you know, the Russians engineered the whole thing. But, you know, something we didn't talk about, and it's kind of weird, we just kind of mentioned him in passing, is Franz Ferdinand. You know, to us, a hundred years later, he's almost a MacGuffin. He's... If we even know who he is at all. Yeah, he's the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. He's the Maltese Falcon. I love that image you <laughs> created. That's, That's a great that, 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 that is a That is a Martin-ism, shall we <laughs> yeah. say. Because you're yeah. the one that came up with that one. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just a funny, a guy in a funny hat that gets shot and starts all this off. But why? Why was he worth shooting? What is it about Franz Ferdinand that shooting him, of all people... Touches off the death of millions of people. That's right. One man. How could any one man be how that did, important? Yeah, how did it get so much of a mess? So what did I want to do, though, is I want to get you guys tell me some initial thoughts. And I think, though, a general biographical sketch of Ferdinand's Ferdinand is going to be important here. Yeah, because we don't know him. We should know him because so much of who we are today stems from what happened in World War One. We've a hundred years later. We've forgotten most of it. Uh, our grandparents probably served in World War II. If we're lucky, if we're of the right age, like we most of us are. But World War One is beyond us. It's four generations back for most of us, and it our our, our memory is only three. We can't so go beyond. My that. grandfather served in World War One. Mine did too. That's correct. But he died when I was six yeah. years old. Well, and my grandparents. Or my parents were born in uh, 34 and 35, so they didn't get... To, and mine was, were, my father yeah, was... No, my parents are much younger. My parents were born at the end of the Second World War. My father was born in 35. So he remembered a little bit, but his father was only 16 when the war ended. So a lot of that... And World War II overshadows so much of that. Yeah, and well, it was bigger. That's correct. It, it, and media more mature, so there's more... And it was, more, was, uh, it was far more uh, global, media. really. And well, more and global, Pearl, more media, more Don't everything. underestimate the power of Pearl Harbor, too. It became ours yes. there. Whereas yes. World War One, you're, Oh, you're so right. Uh, because it was World War One was never really ours. Lusitania is as close as we got to making it. Well, maybe it should be. Well, we joined the party late, but we did close it down. That's correct. That's, That's right. true. We, were, we may have we gotten to the party a little late, but we were the last ones out the door. Yeah, so we closed <laughs> the club down. That's exactly right. And we talked a little bit about that with Wilson. Not very much, but not too much. But Franz Ferdinand is a enigma in many ways because he should never have been anybody. As we get into his biography, we'll well, the discover- way he almost isn't, because your analogy about the, the the briefcase in Pulp Fiction is great because 
he's not necessarily... He's, uh, Francis, you said, who is this man that was worth however 20 million odd lives? That's right. Yeah. But really, in a way, he's still not because so much of World War One was set up... It didn't matter what the spark was. Right. Whatever the spark ended up being, the same results would have happened. That's correct. So in a way, he's not terribly consequential only in the sense that he is that spark. That's right. He, in just, my he just happened to be that. Right. Yeah. It could have been anything that did this. And you might even say this was inevitable. Yeah, World War One, and yeah, yeah. I, honestly, in some ways I think it, it was. It just so happened that this was the way that it all went. It may down. not have happened exactly then. It may not even have rolled out exactly the right. same way. But there was going to be war in Europe. Right. And we've talked a little bit the about the reasons century. for that. And the yeah, fact, I mean, we, yeah. we, we hit that pretty hard with Christopher Clark. And, uh, yeah. Again, that's an amazing book. It was a book. mindset issue more than yeah. anything else. Yeah, an amazing book. Uh, uh, that we, we've grown out of, I'd like yeah. to think. Only be, but only because of the event itself. We could only understand the horrors of war because World War One happened. Because even before that, all that before was a glorification of the art of war. Even the Civil War was close, but not quite a war is hell type thing. But think about all the British colonialism, French colonialism, and all that sort of thing going on. It was a gentleman's game. It was a wonder. It was a way to go forth and do great things. And World War One showed us, uh-uh, no, it is a terrible, ruddy, awful business. And we've kept that understanding ever since. Mm-hmm. We just don't know it. Yeah. So why is he a doofus again? I mean, uh, why is he the the linchpin right. so, here? Right. So, what makes Both. him worth shooting? I mean, uh, of all right. the people that you you know are worth shooting in right. this so world, why did he get to become the briefcase? What what? Yeah, that's an so interesting. So the biographical question. sketch is yeah, the, you got you got to get into his bio yeah, to really understand, you understand why what's him. going on here. But he wasn't supposed to be the heir apparent anyway. Archduke Franz Joseph and his wife, who was the current emperor, who reigned for sixty plus, 60 plus years, years. His, and his wife Empress Elizabeth, who, by the way, as an aside, she ends up assassinated too in right. Geneva in, in like the eighteen eighties. That in cause anybody to go to war. You'd think the Empress would be a bigger deal. Yeah. Um, but she's not they the do have a, <laughs> They do have a son, uh, Archduke Rudolph. And he's now, the only child they have? I don't think so, but he is he's the male child. He's, he's the only the, male child. He's yeah. originally the heir apparent. He is a huge horn dog. And so much so, he ends up infecting his wife, uh, and, uh, Princess Stephanie of Belgium with a venereal disease so badly it sterilizes her. Dare I ask which venereal disease did she I have? I don't think it's recorded. That's, I, I know. Uh, such unfortunate details are just fun to speculate. About. I would guess it would be syphilis. That's my guess. That's yes, correct. Yes, it's most likely. Yeah, so he was a- such a horn dog that uh, um, he ends up in a murder-suicide with his 17-year-old mistress. Who was not a commoner? She was actually she was a, a baroness. Noble. Yeah, yeah, baroness. Yeah, um, but seventeen, and he had begun. How a much older was was he? He was in his thirties. Okay. Um, he uh, again, the family muddled the investigation. Yeah. Of course, can we say how, me too? Oh wait, sorry, different show. Uh, yeah, he they, thought himself sweetly dangerous with the ladies. As yeah. Said. So, but what we do know is they're both dead in a room with a gun. So that passes Franz Joseph's heir apparency on to Franz Ferdinand's father, who dies of dysentery, I think it is, in the 1890s. Right, which is 
Rudolph's brother, correct? Uh, no. No, Franz because Joseph's brother. Franz Joseph's brother. Okay, I want to make sure. Yeah, because Rudolph Joseph was an only child. Rudolph was an only child. Okay, yeah, it's it's. Believe it or not, it is important all these familiar connections. Yeah. Uh, the, the main thing to, to understand is Franz Ferdinand is heir apparent because of a sex scandal. Yeah, of his cousin. Of his cousin, basically. So the other interesting thing, though, is he's pretty much the opposite of Rudolph. When he marries, he marries for love. It's not an arranged marriage. His wife is not even of royal blood. That's why Franz Joseph wasn't even going to allow the marriage until they agreed that it would be morganatic. In other words, the, the title would not pass on, the emperor title he, would not pass on to any to, of Franz Ferdinand's children. He gets to be emperor, but he cannot have any of his descendants. Right, he, would, he would become emperor on Franz Joseph's death, but he could not pass it on to his children. He didn't care. He didn't care. He actually loved his wife. That's right. Yeah. Uh, from all accounts, was completely faithful. That's right. He's actually a very great love story, if yeah. I recall correctly. She, yeah. Sophie is a... Uh, She's a wonderful woman. Yeah. She, he is on record as saying it's the smartest thing he ever did, was uh -huh. marrying Sophie. Um, and they had three children, and uh, quite a great love story. If you wanted to see this actually in on film... The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles did a very, very good episode where Young Indy, Little Indy, Young Corey Carrier was the uh, was the actor who meets Little Sophie uh, before, obviously before the Fran daughter, the daughter, the daughter before, which is around 1914, which is before the war begins. She's about uh, twelve. Yes, it's just exactly that. And a little romance there. A little, a little, a little, a little romance there. But you actually get to meet Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie. And they recognize that things cannot be. And it's actually, George Lucas did a very, very good job with this. And I'll give him credit. This was an awesome representation, as the whole series was, of many great things that happened around this time. But just to, to give you a little bit more in the biographical sketch, again, being this opposite person is a common theme throughout Franz Ferdinand's life. He it is was never what was expected. He was looking forward to being the autocrat. He considered himself that basically his shit didn't stink. I mean, we've used that phrase before about these well, his autocrats. Father, well, the, 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 he found him, he wanted to be in the tradition of his uncle Franz Joseph. That's right, because uh, Franz Joseph was was very much an autocrat, which worked well in the eighteen hundred late eighteen hundreds. But the world was changing. The world's changing. And Franz Ferdinand sees that. That's there. So the, on the other hand, there it is. He wants to rebuild the empire. He thinks the only thing that will save the Habsburg legacy is to dismantle what his uncle has built and do a broader power sharing between all the nationalities of the empire. And this gets known. Which yes. is a very odd thing for an because autocrat to think. That's right. When you think about exactly. it. Exactly. He he, uh, he's, he's progressive in the best sense of the word. He is truly a visionary in many respects. But, it's, but he was long he's before not, his time. He wants to share power, but <laughs> only as a preservation of his own power. It's He doesn't want to hand it off to somebody right. else. I mean, well, it's not that about That sort of thing never works. That's right. He, he exactly. never going to work. He does not yes. wish for democracy. It's not even in his, in his wheelhouse. And there's something to be said for that because you know he can only do what he is known to do. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's all he—that's the only model he knows. Because I mean, when you look at 
the the British monarchy, they were not quite the total figureheads that they are now. I mean, they're not technically total figureheads. Theoretically, there is power that they could exercise. Oh, absolutely. They are still very much head of state. But in many but, there, real but respects. The, if anybody did some of the stuff that they could actually still do, they'd probably get laughed at and we'd probably see the end of the monarchy. But it's the only model he knew. And sharing power is either you're either going to end up with what we have today with the British monarchy or you're monarchy. going to have Louis the Sixteenth. Yeah, which does there not- is no other model because right. every other model where the people who are not nobly born mm-hmm. ends up like the United States or ends up like Russia. Yeah, well, the Soviet right. Union. I mean, Soviet he Union. he looked at America and uh, there was some like, oh, we're going to do the United States of Austria as me as the head, and all these all these nationalities are going to have this you know power sharing thing going on and never mind the fact those nationalities have never gotten along in that never. Way. that's right and they're too of much this, of a dare i say polyglot that's one of your favorite your, I, I love that. That, love that word they're too they're much too balkanized they're ah! too, uh, it's <laughs> right well they too uh, believe it or not they're too diverse they don't get along don't for get because along. of those differences and it's not a question of you know they don't want to get along whereas the diversity if you say it today it's you know we everybody need, wants a seat at the table Nobody wants a seat at the table. They want the other people to go away so they can have the table all to themselves. And that's a big part of it because that's Huge. where he is with the Hungarians. That's Which a lot the- of his thing about sharing power isn't so much recognizing these other nationalities. It's, I don't trust the Hungarians. We've got to water them down. That's right because they are the power base here. Yeah. In many respects, the Austro Hungarian Empire shouldn't even exist. It's only the Habsburg that have kind of happened to be the heads of it that are where they're Mashed at. Mashed it together and That's trying right. to make it work. Exactly, but there, there's the Austrian co- uh, contingent and there's the Hungarian contingent, which aren't the same. Hungarians are more Slavic than they are Germanic. Yes, yes. And so therefore, and they have their own history, their own background, their own culture. This is not unlike the... Uh, Czechoslovakia. That's correct. There's, there's, yeah, there's no such thing. These are modern examples. Yeah, or yes. Yugoslavia, yeah. the old time. You, that's Put, probably a better yeah, example. Putting the two to get, putting these diverse people together and trying to make them get along, it only works in the presence of an autocrat. Well, yeah. Now, to be fair, though, those those people were together mm-hmm. for nearly a thousand years. That's right. Yeah. They, so it's not like they hadn't been. There's part no history. Yeah, there's a history here. Uh, a, a, a country. Uh, we, they wouldn't have thought about it as a country the way we do today. Yeah. There's no. There's no sense of nationalism here. Right. But they they were part of a political unity because they were part part of the the Holy Roman Empire. Uh-huh. Now maybe not from the very beginning because those borders early on were a little bit nebulous. Everything's shifting. Yeah. But very quickly though, they would have been an early part. The princes who ruled those they were electors of the Holy Roman Empire. That's how the Habsburgs became the Habsburgs. Yeah. And then again, that's that flip side of this is he wants all this reform and he, he wants to look at power sharing. He sees it as a way of heading off the friction with Serbia. Which is the problem. But at, yeah, but at the same time, again... He still sees himself as this is protecting my legacy as the autocrat. Uh, you know, that's a good point he still about s- Yugoslavia there. Yeah. About Serbia. The Austro-Hungarian Empire encompasses not just what we would call today Austria and Hungary, but also what would have, for a while anyways, been Yugoslavia, correct? Part of it. Bosnia. Just right. Bosnia? Bosnia. No, uh, Serbia so- is independent. Keep in mind, Serbia wins their independence from the Ottoman Empire. But they border. Right. 
Because of Bosnia. That's right, because because the weak man of Europe, the Ottoman Empire, cannot hold them together. Well, they're ethnically and religiously different. Yeah. The Serbians are not Muslims. They're 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 more they're Eastern Christians at this point. Yeah. So the fact it's that the, the Ottomans were in charge of them is not a ten, It's not. It's something that's untenable over a long period of time. Yeah. So they're actually independent, but they're in the midst of this little bitty place in the midst of all of these great empires surrounding them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. only the it, Russian it, Empire. So the, either all the empires fall. Which is ultimately what happens. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that's ultimately, pretty much what happens. That's yeah. right. Or it gets absorbed into one of them, yeah. which is what was attempted. But he's, he's Imperialism just Imperialism only survives without um, that. Yeah, so I mean, at the same time as being this reformer... He recognizes the need, but he doesn't understand how. Yeah, and, and he's just this dour, formal... Um, he considered himself, you know, this this great noble prince. Uh, his castle at Kanapisht in Bohemia is stuffed to the rafters with stuff he's killed. Yes, and the uh, talked about this uh, pre-show. The uh, current Habsburg descendant that is uh, responsible for the legacy, uh, Carl. Yeah. He that is that that castle in Bohemia is the main place where a lot of that. Uh, legacy is displayed, and it's like a living, semi-living museum to the Habsburgs because that's one of the things I remember distinctly. Open to the public? Yes, it, yes. It, it, there you uh, go. All of the, the the animals that have been killed. I mean, it's very much a hunting lodge slash castle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, he said is, to have killed like five thousand deer. Yeah. Maybe a hundred thousand other antlers make up a lot of the uh, the light fixtures. I mean, they use. I mean, it's very rustic. Yeah. So I mean, it's. He would run people off of his land and right. threaten to shoot them because so, he didn't want anybody taking any animal that he might shoot. Beyond the uh, obvious role as the heir apparent, prior to that and even after, what was his role in the his uncle's government? Did he have any... He was very much a part of the military. Okay. And um, we've talked about a little bit about Conrad von Holzendorf, yeah. the chief of staff. Yeah. Uh-huh. That he was one of Franz Ferdinand's people. Okay, he got brought in to be the chief of staff of the Austrian army. So it wasn't like he was just some some doofus, right? Uh, off in the corner, right. With grandiose ideas. That That's were, right. He, he was, was actually he was, part of the power. He was not yeah. marginalized uh, because he was the heir apparent. Franz Joseph, what did he think of him though? He didn't think very highly well, of him, if I recall correctly. No, he, he didn't. And again, the whole wedding thing. Why would you do this? Why would you marry this? Who's so below you? I mean, again, Sophie Hotek is she is of noble blood. She's just not royal. That's right, and there is a that's a very distinct and so, difference. But again, Franz Joseph married to a royal. Yeah, uh, Rudolph was married to a royal. It's something you did in this very conventional uh, Vienna court. You Which stuck is why they have the, the years they do. You know? Yeah, you <laughs> stuck by the rules, and Franz Joseph was a stickler for that. Yeah, but he. he Franz Ferdinand was not unprepared right. so to come in. Where I was going with that is he, he basically had, not only would he have the um, the title uh, and the power that goes to the title, he had influence in the court already. Yes. Yeah. So if he had lived past his the death of his uncle and became the emperor, he could have actually gone pretty far in implementing these reforms. Which he is re- on record of, as espousing. 
Yeah, again, depending on where the Hungarians go. Right. Talk to me more about that. That's something I don't quite get. The understanding of the Hungarian power base here, what is their take on all this? They're the only other ones besides the Austrians that have any power. That's right. They're, they're, they're How do they have power? In merging the two crowns. Right. Right, but I mean, what is their what is their base? Is it uh, is it because they have land? Is you it can't because do they have anything without their approval? Well, they have the they have the population because they're they actually outnumber the Austrians. Well, they make uh, up a significant part of the army. That's right. Okay, and so there you go. Again, foreign policy has to be determined through the Hungarians. Yeah, and that's they have a prime minister who has a great deal of power, and they do have to run pretty much. Whatever is being done, you got to get the Hungarians on board. Okay, so that's kind of where this in this ends up. Which is, is why he wants to dilute their power. Yes, he doesn't trust them. He wants to dilute their power. The Austrians are still in charge, at least nominally. Yeah, but he's attempting to solidify that. Yes, he and wants to squeeze them out. Basically, he wants. Yeah. yeah, he wants to marginalize them, and at the same time, again, I. I I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on his motives. He does want to end the friction with these other nationalities, in particular the The Slavic nationalities. He is on record as saying, if we give these people power in the empire, then all of these people that are stirring up trouble from the outside, hint, hint, Serbians, they have nothing to offer. Now, there is a lot of wisdom in that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And which goes back to our original premise. Is he a doofus? Or is he a visionary? Or what point in between is he a visionary martyr or a visionary or a a doofus martyr? (laughs) He could be all three. They're not mutually exclusive. Not at all. That's right. Because ultimately, yeah, he's a martyr. He got shot. He's dead. Oh, he's dead now. The thing about, uh, I guess, whether or not he's a doofus or a visionary or both depends on really, ultimately, what that power sharing would have looked like. Yeah. Because do we really know? Yeah, see, that's the thing. We don't know. Again, the he's just spitballing at this point. But right, because until his uncle is dead, that's all he can uh, do. Yeah. That's all. That's all he can that do. That matters because right. Franz Joseph's not moving that's on right. any of this. Who right. is? It was a supreme autocrat. Yeah, yeah. he is. I mean, he is not sharing last, power with anything. Yeah, he's the one of the last of the old schools. That's he right. Tells Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. So where all this hinges, though, what what I think you get to is. Why does he scare the Serbians so badly? And that's Bosnia. Because if he's right, and they give like the Bosnians some power, some say, some representation, and they stop listening to the Serbians, then the Serbian dream of greater Serbia is meaningless. They have no more influence. And that's what frightens the black hand. It basically, cuts them off at the knees. If if, 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 he, if it works, if, if it he works, comes to power, that's why he and frightens. He's gone on record on numerous occasions stating, "This is my vision." I, I, to me, I, the whether it's possible or not, great what if? Yeah, I like because I mean, when you think about the style of government that he's coming from, and the style of government that that could work. There's a lot of ways he could have done it that would have blown up in his face. Right. Absolutely. Because if he gives them too much power, real power, yeah. then 
it could fracture the the empire such that it is to that's begin right. with. That's right. Which give, if he gives them too little, the Serbians will keep having an influence. That's right. Where is that? And he'll piss off the Hungarians at the same time. That's yes. exactly right. So this is a very nuanced, subtle way of working that he's got to just push just enough to be able to give them enough that they're satisfied without actually changing the way things are. Because that can't happen. Yeah. Well, for his autocrat autocracy, he doesn't want stuff to change. He just doesn't want his stuff to change. Well, that's right. Yeah, he's still got to. That's be, what makes it tricky. It's one of those things of, well, okay, but if you light that candle, can you put it back out? Right. Well, well you know, it's kind of it's kind of like they said in Star Trek. You know, uh, Bella Oxmix says, you know, I'm all for unity. I just got to be the unity. Right. Same thing here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll just quote a little bit here um, from Wikipedia, but it's an Italian historian. Leo Valiani. Francis Ferdinand was a prince of absolutist inclinations, but he had certain intellectual gifts and undoubted moral earnestness. Yeah, we can intellectual see that. gifts and moral earnestness. I mean, I like that. I, that's such a conflict. How how do you, how can you have moral earnestness and be an absolute and absolute in uh, that's so foreign? Oh, to well, us. I tell you exactly how. Well, you're, you're, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. All right. Hobbes, Hobbes says absolutely that's the way it is. Levi, the Leviathan, with regards to the enlightened despot, is the only viable way of government for him. Franz Ferdinand is extremely Hobbesian. I think that I know what's best, and I want, I love you people, and I'm yeah, going to make it, sure. This is hard. I, I probably have the broadest egalitarian streak of the three of us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so this to me is like. You're, you're kidding me, right? This can't seriously. No, but that was the philosophy that was behind this. I guarantee you. Yeah, no, 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 no. Go I, ahead. I would disagree on that part. Go ahead. Take, take that, is spe- that is specifically Hobbesian. Bar- bearing in mind that I have not seen if he has referenced Hobbes yeah. or not. Okay, right. I understand. Because I would say this. It, it is smells not, like it. It is not Hobbesian. Okay. It is Catholic. Okay. Now that's a big part. Yeah, the, it the, is Catholic the because. Heavily Catholic. It is heavily he, Catholic. Right. He he he's extremely Catholic. Yes. It is. That's right. I mean, that when you say Habsburg, that's what you mean. You mean Catholic. Okay. All right. All right. So the Catholic ideal is not a representative democracy, no. not a Greek style everybody gets a vote democracy, Correct. which is totally unworkable. Plato himself of, said it's impossible. Yeah. It is the benevolent monarch. That's right. The enlightened okay. despot. No, because for a Catholic, it would, he would not be a despot. He would be enlightened. That's he would correct. not be a despot. Uh, despot is the term that Hobbes used, and I think that it's, it, granted, you know, this guy wrote long before. But it's, it's it a is. different mindset, though, from, especially from the way you explained it. Now, okay, yeah, give me the, give if, me the he has a, if he has a different uh, uh, definition of his own, that's fine, but the benevolent despot as in, I know it's right, and therefore I'm going to do it for you. That's right. That's not the Catholic way. The Catholic way, the monarch serves the people for their good. That's right. Now, he may know what is best. That's right. But he doesn't impose it because he knows what's best, because he's, you know, I'm the only way. The, and this is the ideal. doesn't necessarily always work this That's way, right. obviously. Gotcha. Okay. But the ideal is, I, I believe this is what is good and right. Therefore, that's what we do because it is good and right. Not just because I say so. Not just because I say so. Yeah. There's an inherent goodness and rightness about it, which when you bring in the morality part that you just talked about, makes far more sense. Yeah. 
Well, in many respects, you're talking about divine right of kings. Yes, that's yes, very, that's very right. Yeah, absolutely, because God Himself informs the enlightened ruler, shall we say, and tells him what's good and right that the that the unenlightened individuals of the populace cannot comprehend. And that's Hobbes. I don't know if that's, that's Hobbes. What, I don't think that would be the Catholic view. No. Because again, well, but in in 1900, well, might have been. This obviously is going to be tempered with we, I am the ruler. That's right. We look at this from 20th and century. And there's a power, but the ideal still would have been uh, we do what is right. And there have been monarchs. Louis in France. Louis. He's a saint for a reason. That's correct. Uh, saint Wenceslas. That's right. He is a saint for a reason. These are men that tried to serve their people or were particularly holy. Well, but I mean, end, even we so, have... Louis XIV was very good at being the autocrat. He was. Uh, but only to the extent so, that he thought he was right. He wasn't always. Right. Yes. And so often is the case with all of these. They're not always right. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, We're all human. Mistakes can be made. That's yeah. correct. That, I'm just talking about the idea. They, 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 get, they get something in their head they think is right for all the right reasons and they roll with it yeah. and that's what we're could be totally and, wrong and i think yeah. that's what exactly right yeah and and there are just two points that one we have no way of knowing now right because of course. He got shot that's where right. franz Ferdinand would have fallen on that and two again my broad egalitarian streak says the only moral course is representative republic but that's the subject for another. Well, <laughs> that of course that, that, that is not included. No, not at all. But that assumes only that the represent the republic that is representative is intellectually not. That's not a good word for it, but that's a possibility. But at least in some fashion is prepared to be is able to make a true moral good decision for See, the people. See, that's the thing. There you go. It the has to, if it's not informed be, by morals. Yeah. Then it falls into. It falls into what is very similar today. I'm not saying our country is immoral, although it could very well be. What I'm saying is that it falls into a balkanization because yeah, you have competing I interests. I was hoping that word would come up because it's, uh, well, so, it's so appropriate it's for, so the, appropriate subject. for yeah. the subject. Um, whereas the monarch, the whole point of that is to help prevent the balkanization of the the various yeah. groups. Yeah. It's the but, only way to do good for the, for the most. <laughs> Hopefully you can do good for the... For all. For all. Yes. That's correct. That's right. Well, to me, the only way to do good is to limit the government and let the people decide what their good is on their own because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's just as much a good intention as any other. Well, that's, well, that's correct. I mean, whether, so, it goes back to the Franklinism, you know, why yeah. should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away from 3,000 tyrants one mile away. away? The thing is, though, uh, and I'm not saying, I, personally, I, I prefer... Right. I mean, we're Americans and very proud to be Americans. Yes. We don't want right. to have a king. Yeah, right. We, we don't want to have an we even though we're talking positively well, we don't about want the an idea autocrat. But, sorry, but well, that's assuming there was such a thing as an enlightened autocrat. We know it's not possible because mm. autocracy, I think, pollutes or toxifies the I think you can probably find enough monarchs throughout history that did well and right by their people to to say no, that's not true. I think well, that, that's that, that's probably a subject for another episode. But I think Louis the Fourteenth is probably a good example of that. Uh, he actually did in there uh, a very good, uh, good way of taking care of his people. 
by making sure that the bureaucracy that went around him that ruled everything was kept in check. Well, and again, by his that's own very autocracy, that's very Catholic. Because that's right. With because you're talking about the uh, with the giving as much power to as many people, that is still very much in line because we have what we call uh, subsidiarity and solidarity. Sorry. Subsidiarity Local. is what the uh, uh, libertarians love to seize on. Yes, and that is you do everything at the lowest possible level. That's right. Yes. Everything's local. That's to the extent the only that problem with be. that is there are certain things that you can't do at the very lowest possible yeah. level. Defense of the realm. For yeah, example. I mean, you can't blow up Iraqis at the local level. Right. So, you know, you cannot... If they're the threat. Or it, the Iranians. Or, or the Iranians. Whatever exactly. you want to call it. You can't send a missile to Russia if you're doing everything at the local village level, right? Yes. Uh, not that I want to send missiles to Russia. That's right. Uh, but the other thing is, though, the things that you cannot handle locally then can the next level of organization above it handle it? The yes. of the Declaration is pretty good. Then it should. That yeah. If that level can't handle it, then you go up. But you but that's where you start. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. Now, there's some things that obviously are only at the top level. No, Defense of the realm. That's right. Provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and pursue the blessings of liberty that are ourselves and our posterity. You know, we, we got that. Establish this, this constitution. constitution. That's where it's all laid out. And uh, that's intended. We probably can't really quote Schoolhouse Rock because that's copyrighted. Uh, oh, uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> we, uh, we understand whether fair use, fair use doctrine. It's fair that's use, yes. As long as we don't quote the whole thing. You can I quote up to a certain amount. It, I was I simply was. laying it. Okay, you were, you were singing. It was going through my head. <laughs> Which is in many respects, the brilliance of that entire Isn't program. That's right, because to, to our generation, our, 40 years our later. generations, exactly. Plus I, I'd 50s, love to see somebody update that animation with that same audio yeah. or close to it and redo those. That's correct, because it was too crude for today's standards. But but you know that's the, true. The DVDs have been very very popular. Yes. Lots of folks remember them. Anybody so, our age? Yeah. True. All right. So we're getting plus. pretty far afield. Here. Yes. So we're at about thirty five minutes. So I just wanted to bring you guys back around to something. Why was he worth shooting? Because he scared the crap out of, out of Serbians. The Serbians. There's yes. no question they as to that. Seriously, thought he might be successful in this. Well, I think that's exactly the problem. Is because he what he could have been. That whole Hobbesian, enlightened, uh, despot's not the right word, I know you have a problem with that, autocrat, as it were, to be able to share power in any stretch of the imagination, they thought he actually might have succeeded. Mm -hmm. He had spoken well enough and articulately enough that he was to the point where, oh my God, this might work. Obviously, they understood the concept he was going for, if not the particulars. That's right. He yeah. was on record enough yeah. with consistently that this would have been... He's attempting to maintain the empire in a quasi-democratic manner that's unheard of. Nobody could handle that. It's one of the reasons like Jesus Christ was crucified because he represented a threat to the power base. Same issue yeah. here. Not Which, oddly enough, he didn't really. Yeah, yeah, you might you might be pushing just a little. I, I'm not sure. I see Franz Ferdinand as a Christ-like figure. Well, no, <laughs> no, but but he is a threat to the. Existing, I like where you went. Though. He is exi he is a threat to the existing power base. There's no question because the power base is the in Serbians, Serbia in Serbia. He's a threat. The to only Serbia. reason Serbia cares is because they want. Allies, they want their own. They, they want, want nationalism. The, they want all the they want, Serbians. They want fracturiz, They want yes. a fracturization of the empire, so they, they can 
graft on places That's like right. Bosnia. It's, it's an intention so, for their own increase of power, and he is a threat to that increase of is power. Is there any historical evidence of the Hungarians supporting even mildly or at least looking the other way with the uh, the Serbs? Since, obviously, he was a threat to the Hungarians as well. Um, really, the only guy banging the drum for war, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked Christopher Clark, is Hotzendorf. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that has repeatedly, and like every six months, said, we got to go to war with Serbia. This is never going to be over until we got to go to war with well, Serbia. Well, think about that. That the makes Hungarians sense. Don't, the Hungarians don't want to do it. Well, Hans because Ferdinand doesn't want to do it. We want empire. This is ultimately what we're talking about here is a philosophical argument between the concept of imperial power versus nationalistic power, large versus small, ethnic versus non-ethnic. Poly- I don't think the polyglot. Serbians probably would have been perfectly happy with the Serbian Empire. And granted, it would have been pretty well, puny. That's what, but, but ultimately, but that, that's exactly their goal. That's yeah, exactly their goal. Leave like me Bosnia. alone. Let me do things my Serbian way. And that's and they think that the Bosnians and the others would be better served on their own rather than in a diverse and non understandable no they they want Bosnia as part of Serbia they want everywhere Serbs live to be a part of Serbia that's correct and that is antithetical to the entire concept of empire right they're trying to fracture Austro-Hungarian empire but they want to build their own that's right go away and leave Bosnia to us if you'll do that and we'll, draw, we'll, we'll leave you alone for 20 we'll years and then we'll come alone. back for the next chunk. That's right. Because that's yes. how that works. That's yes, exactly right. That, that's ultimately, this is an imperial versus nationalistic argument. It and is. nationalism ultimately wins, as we know. But yes. only because it destroys everything otherwise. That's, I, I think wins we, that I particular conflict. I don't yes. think it was the intention, but ultimately it's the only way it's going to happen. And that kind of goes back to, uh, I think, why his his ideas were perhaps rooted, even whether he recognized it or not, in that that Catholic view, because uh, that's not how that's not how he would have gone about it, and it's, it, it is antithetical to the way uh, the the Catholic thoughts on this would go. Agreed. You know, it's not that it would destroy everything and build it from the ashes. Because again, that's doing a lot of harm that's to right. do a little bit of good. It's ultimately the only way it works. But the, in that particular area, but he it didn't, is. But yes. he didn't know it. He doesn't intend that. It also but goes back to we why, know that. why the, the representative republic is so difficult. Yeah. is because every form of government, whoever holds the power, becomes a tyranny if the goal is not the good of all the people. I think oh that's a my good goodness, spot. that's exactly yeah, right. I think that's a good spot to stop because we're almost 40 minutes and we don't want to be there. Um, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I like everything you guys said at the end there. Both things that you all had going on. Loved them, loved them. Uh, I'm going to take one more sip of this good Woodford Reserve uh, bourbon that we got going here. Mm. Got to slurp it. That's right. That way they know stuff. you've taken a sip. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> slurp stuff all around. That's right. Not that I recommend slurping bourbon. Don't get me wrong. No, you can. The, the, you the guys can. that tour or provide the tours at the distilleries. Do they slurp? Say, yeah. You wow. That's right. Enjoy. Whatever works for you. It's, it's all about enjoyment. You suck a little bit in and you do the Kentucky chew. Essentialist of you. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. 
We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us, and please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. Yeah.